You're listening to How She Creates. I'm your host, Lauren Hooper. This podcast is for the curious, the wanderer and the wanderers, the playful and the joyful. Every week, we're going to explore how to design a life full of creativity and whimsy. Now let's get curious and go explore something. Welcome to another episode of How She Creates. I am really excited to dive in with my guest, Sarah, today. And if you want to follow along with everything we're talking about in real time and see all the links, everything is going to be listed at lauren-likes.com slash podcast. And if you want to sign up to get notifications and get all of these links and things sent right to you, you can sign up for my newsletter at lauren-likes.com slash newsletter. Now, we are going to have a really fun and fantastic conversation today that's a little different than our normal artist conversation. So I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest, Sarah Von Bargen. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I have been following Sarah online for years. I mean, probably before I even left the state, so five or six years ago at least. I think I found you through your interview series. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and people may know who you are from these really different and cool avenues that you're sharing your work online. Absolutely. Um, My elevator pitch and my Instagram bio are that I help people spend their time, money, and energy on purpose. And so sometimes this looks like uh, I have a really popular online class called Bank Boost that teaches people how to live on a budget and bring in extra money without hating your life. (laughs) I teach a class about habit change called Habit School. I write a lot about making for sure that your values align with your relationships, with where you spend your money, with how you spend your time. And I also write about sort of, I hesitate to use the word life hack, but just little things that you can do that can add more happiness and intention to your daily life. That's a perfect description. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how to live your life on purpose or by choice and how doing that can help improve your creativity. Because I love how, I feel like you are one of the most creative people I know. Well, thank you. Yeah. In like a different, more lifestyle kind of way. So can you tell us what living a creative lifestyle looks like for you? To me, I think living a creative lifestyle has sort of two parts. For me, a huge part of having a life that feels creative to me is having enough space in my calendar and in my mind to be creative. I'm sure we've all had the experience where you're really overscheduled and over obligated and you have too many things that you need to do. And when you're working 16 hour days or when you spend all day driving kids to various lessons or, you know, meeting other people's expectations, you don't have much time literally to create art or scrapbook or write a song or be in community theater. And you also don't have the energy or the space in your mind to really even have creative thoughts because all you're thinking about is what's for dinner and did I file that insurance claim? So I think it's it's a two-part thing, like making for sure that you have enough time and being honest with yourself about what creativity looks like for you and, and also potentially sort of like letting go of preconceived notions about creativity. Because I think a lot of us, when we think of creativity, we imagine like, I'm taking a creative writing class or I need to do oil paints while I sit in the park. But creativity can take so many forms and just because you're not doing oil paints in the park doesn't mean that you're not creative. Exactly. And I think your bank boost class is a perfect example of that. 
you encourage people in that class to do really creative things to make money and save money. And, um, you know, that's what creativity is, is it's mm-hmm. problem solving. And so I think you're doing such a good job of, of helping encourage people to do that, to then free up that room and that space in their life, whatever that worry for them is. And then, you know, in turn, our natural response to that is to be more creative with our free time. But whenever I think about you, I think of the idea of question everything and not in like a, like let's burn down the system kind of way, but in Mm -hmm. the like live your life on purpose. Always posting. Your Instagram is really fantastic. Will you share what your Instagram handle is real quick? Oh, yes and yes blog. Perfect. You're always sharing on Instagram, you know, like daily tips and advice. Um, And it's always stuff like question why you do that. How could you do this Mm -hmm. differently? Should you change it? Can you tell us a little bit more about your philosophy on questioning things and making conscious choices? Oh, that's, that's a very, that's, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, Well, I would say, I think growing up, there were people in my life, in my community, in my classes, who I witnessed firsthand what can happen when we accept the status quo and we sort of take for granted that the best or the only way to live your life is X, Y, Z. The best or only way to live your life is you know, immediately go to college, get a, you know, study something sensible, get a nine to five job, marry your college sweetheart, buy a house, have two kids, and then, you know, take your two weeks of vacation to Disney World or an all-inclusive resort. And I don't like that sounds sort of snide when I say it. And I have zero, zero judgment, you know, towards those things. And I know like I'm married. I have two stepkids. We live in a house. You know, like there are, I, I went to college. I worked in the field that I went to college for, for quite a while. So it's not to say that every single one of those things is silly or inconsidered, but I think it's really important. It's very unlikely that every single one of us is going to be made happy by making every single one of those choices. Some people are lucky enough to find the person they're going to marry when they're 22 and they can marry them when they're 23 and continue to have a happy, fulfilled marriage for the rest of their life. Some people love being parents, love being homeowners, love working a nine to five job and having two weeks off. And they are truly fulfilled by that. And if that is, if that is you, awesome, you should totally do that. But it is unlikely that every single one of us is going to have the exact same Uh, result or (laughs) receive the exact same amount of fulfillment by making the same choices. And there is very little in our lives, in society, in media that encourages any of us to say like, okay, are are you sure that at 22, that's the right person to marry? Are you sure that homeownership is the right decision for you? Are you sure that you know, spending $70,000 on that degree that you decided on when you were 19 years old and your brain wasn't even fully formed. Are you positive that's the right decision? Again, it is the right decision for some people, but I, I don't think that just like just a blanket approach to life for everyone, you're not going to, we're all different. We're all going to have different results if we try and plug ourselves into that formula. There's so much wisdom in what you just said. Um, and I think that applies to our art. And, you know, and especially with like Instagram now, people sharing what they're doing all the time and then us comparing our lives to theirs. Um, and I think one th- one decision that I made recently that y- your tips helped me make was I decided to say no to um, alcohol 98% of the time because I don't like alcohol. I, 
I, it just doesn't taste good. And the only way I like it is if it tastes like a piece of candy and then it's, you know, so sweet. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just like wasting calories and, you know, it makes me like feel tired when I'm trying to like hang out <laughs> yeah, with people. Yes. Um, and, you know, and people will be like, what? Aren't you drinking? Mm-hmm. I mean, and not even that my friends are like big into mm-hmm. drinking frequently, but whenever I like will purposely say no, because everyone else just is saying yes, people are like, what, why? And I'm like, I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. And they, people, you know, kind of struggle to understand that the fact that I'm like making this statement and like following through with it, but it mm-hmm. is, it was one of those things where I questioned like, why am I doing this? Like, it's just because everyone else is, and I just don't like it. Um, and, and just being able to say that's a big deal. Yes. A really good rule of thumb when it comes to any big life decision, because the thing is, everything is socially contagious. Wh- whether we realize we're being influenced or not, everything is socially contagious. L- like the studies of um, divorce being socially contagious, the studies about when people have kids being socially contagious, homeownership, remodeling, like starting to get into CrossFit, like it's all socially contagious. So I think a really good rule of thumb is, If you are thinking about making a big life change, ask yourself, have three people in my life made this life change in the last year? Because if they have, it's very possible that you are making, you are making that decision because other people in your life have. And again, it's not always a bad decision. Like being more active is great, you know, for some, like owning real estate can potentially be a very good decision. But I think it's really important to realize if everyone around you is doing this thing, And you haven't, you know, taken the time to ask yourself, like, do I actually like beer? Do I actually want to own a home? Do I actually want a puppy? Do I actually enjoy running 5Ks every weekend? If you don't take the time to ask yourself that, it's very, very, very easy to just sort of end up in this life that you absorb by osmosis rather than one that you built for yourself on purpose. So how can we figure out how to live our lives more on purpose? Um, well, this is going to sound like suspiciously easy, um, but it's, it's <laughs> like most things in life. Um, it's simple, but it's not easy. Um, I would say a, a really good place to start is just start by noticing when you're happy. I literally have a, a, a notes document in my phone. And whenever I notice that I'm really happy, I look around and I think about what's going on. And I make a note in my phone. So then I can replicate that if I want to. And sometimes it's just like being outside in it, like when I'm by myself, like I'm not in a park where there are like 75 other people. I'm like on a hiking trail, or maybe it's doing something midweek, midday that other people can't do because they're not self-employed. Or it might just be like reading fiction on the sofa with my dog before I start work. I just make notes of when I'm really happy because it's much easier to then sort of work backwards and figure out how you can add more to your life. And I think it's also equally important when you come home from a night out with a group of friends or, you know, after you watch a certain TV show or if you fall down an Instagram hole, it's equally important to notice what are the things that you're repeatedly doing that are actively making you feel less awesome. Like, of course, there are going to be things in our lives that we all need to do. Like going to the funeral, you know, of somebody from your neighborhood, of course, that's not going to make you feel great. But just because it makes you feel bad doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Like there are all things in life that are going to be challenging that we really do need to do to be part of a productive society. But I'm talking about like, 
you go to happy hour with your coworkers and they all spend the entire time complaining about this work project, how much they hate everybody in HR, how the parking's terrible, and you end up spending like $45 on fried appetizers and beer you don't even like and spend the entire time complaining. It's worth noting when you get home that you feel bad. Or if you, you know, there's somebody that you follow on Instagram and, you know, they're great. They're very successful. They have beautiful photos. But every time you look through their stuff, you feel bad. And that might be because, you know, their success is kind of triggering for you or it makes you feel less than. It's okay. Like, it's okay to just unfollow them. But also notice when you feel less than. Notice when you feel like, well, that was a waste of time. And also notice what light, what lights you up? What makes you happy? When do you feel fulfilled? Because I think one of the things that's sort of hard is at the risk of rhyming, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Like, it's really hard to figure out what you like and what makes you happy if there's nobody else in your life who's doing that or modeling it. This this is a strange parallel to draw, but I discovered a few years ago that I really love like tiny things. Like I love miniatures. I love those YouTube videos of like the hamster who cooks things. <laughs> like I love, tiny, oh. <laughs> like I love tiny stuff. And I, and like, I don't know anybody who loves tiny stuff. I didn't, at the I, like, I didn't follow any Instagram accounts of tiny stuff. I didn't like have a dollhouse as a child. And so it seems like, how did I had to sort of figure that out on my own. Like, oh, I love, I love those hamster cooking videos. And also I like randomly went to a museum of dollhouses and I was like, oh my God, I love these tiny things. And it sounds silly, but just figuring that out was kind of hard because I didn't know anybody else who liked that. So all of this is to say, make note of when you're happy so you can add more of it to your life. And also make note of when you feel less than or drained or unfulfilled so you can, as much as possible, do less of that stuff. Oh my gosh, I love these examples. Okay, so I feel like it's really easy for us. You know, when we find something we like, we can go follow 100 Instagram accounts of it and we can maybe even go sign up for a class about it. Um, You know, the internet makes... Thing, following things we like much easier mm-hmm. now. Um, but it's not easy when you don't enjoy hanging out with your coworkers because they complain or saying no when everyone's having a drink and you honestly truly just want to drink soda mm-hmm. water. Um, what are your kind of tips, suggestions, how to broach that topic, how to get out of those things? What What do you do? Well, I would say for one, one thing that I think is important to know is that if you are living your life on purpose and making the choices that are right to you, you're going to pay something that I call the authenticity tax. Um, and that's the price you pay for doing the stuff that's right for you. And you're never, you're never not going to pay it. Um, so if you decide not to drink because it's not right for you, you know, there will always be, you know, some weird uncle or a coworker or somebody who lives in your building at the apartment barbecue who is going to comment on it. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Um, but it's sort of just, it's the price of entry. And it's a much, much, much lower price of entry than doing stuff that it doesn't align with who you are. So I think part of it is just understanding like that's the, that's the cost of, that's the cost of being yourself is that people are going to comment. But the other side of the coin is like, no matter what you do anywhere in life, like even if you were doing a bunch of stuff that met the status quo, people would still be hassling, be hassling you. 
So I think part of it is just understanding like this is the price of being human and it's the price of being true to who you are. Um, and in terms of situations where like you can't get away from from the complaining coworker, I think, again, just knowing, OK, Brenda from accounting just complains about everything, just figuring out what the actual problem is, like who is the problem? What is the problem? So then you can be emotionally prepared, like, you know, oh, it's it's staff day. Brenda's going to be there. You can either physically create distance between yourself and Brenda. You can make for sure that you're talking to somebody else or just know that like, okay, Brenda's going to come over here. She's going to try and like stir the pot and gossip about so-and-so. And when she does that, I know that I'm either not going to reply or I'm going to challenge her or I'm going to redirect the conversation. Just knowing what the problem is allows you to sort of create a contingency plan um, and just be prepared. And also sort of just sometimes you don't have to do anything, but just knowing like, oh, there goes Brenda. I know that she that's just who she is. And I can just sort of stare into the middle distance and wait it out. Yeah. And I'll even go out on a bigger limb and say to some people listening, you guys might need to find new friends. You oh, know, yes, if, yes. I, if it's I'm somebody that, that you can extricate yourself from, if you have the option to extricate yourself from something like there, if, and if it's somebody who you don't feel, you don't want to cut them off entirely, like see them in a group mm-hmm. because then sort of like their nonsense isn't quite as potent or see them, you know, if they want to get brunch and go shopping, which is, you know, like a five hour endeavor, you could say, oh, I can't do that. I can meet you for coffee after work, you know, and then that's like an hour or, oh, I can't do that, but I'll see you at, you know, the barbecue. If you can't cut somebody off completely, you can change the situation in which you see them. Oh, I I love that. I mean, that's just setting boundaries for yourself. And then that therefore rolls over into our creative time. You know, as artists, you are going to feel so drained after that annoying, long, negative interaction, how are you going to go home and create something from that? I mean, maybe that is your response, but for me, I just want to go home and sleep or watch TV. And so Mm -hmm. being more protective and and proactive about my time makes a big difference in my creativity. And a lot of that has to do with choosing to live on purpose and and making these kind of choices that Sarah is talking about. Um, And in our art, you know, this is why Sarah stands out so much to me. And you guys will immediately start thinking of artists when we say no to things and we know who we are and we question things and we do things on purpose and we speak up about them, that's when we start to get noticed. That's when our art is going to get noticed um, because you're not just doing the same tutorial or the same thing that every other you know, Instagram artist is popular for right now. You know, When you really lean into miniature dollhouses and miniature items and taking cute pictures with those, like that's when your Instagram is going to grow. That's when your art is going to grow. That's when you're going to get a gallery show. You know, that's going to change your creative, you know, trajectory when you're living your life on purpose. Mm-hmm. So where should we start? You have so many great resources. You talk about budgeting. You talk about habits. Um, you talk about being creative with your groceries. What would you say if someone feels really just kind of out of sorts in all areas of their life and it's really hindering their creativity and they just need to get control of something, where would you suggest they start? 
I actually, and this is sort of counterintuitive and maybe even slightly controversial, but I would say a really good place to start is limiting um, input and amping up your output. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that I do is when I take the dog for a walk, I do not listen to any podcasts. I just walk the dog and like my phone is in my purse and I don't look at it and I just look at nature and look around and think about things. Um, And a lot of times when I'm in the car, I don't have the radio on especially when I'm like driving around town. Um, I think it's really important to have space in your brain, in your life where you're not um, consuming because your brain needs time to process your ideas and do something with the inspiration that you've been accruing. I think that it's very, very easy to get into the mindset of like, if I just read yet another listicle, or if I buy a new set of paints, or if I watch this documentary about Jackson Pollock, then I'll find inspiration. But I mean, honestly, for most areas of our life, we already have everything that we need to do what we need to do. It's it's that we're not implementing the stuff that we need to do, or we're sort of oversaturating our brains, or we're making it more complicated than it needs to be. So I would say... Rather than, you know, trying to watch another YouTube tutorial about like how to perfect your sketching or, you know, taking another online class about, you know, photo techniques, give yourself and your brain some time to process the things that you already know, get out in nature, you know, meditate, um, walk the dog without headphones on, go for a drive in the country. Um, And also start trying to implement the things that you already know rather than overburdening your brain with yet more information and more never ending tips about how to become better at something that you're probably probably already good at. That is so true and so hard. It's so hard to be quiet, especially when you're, you know, like you're saying out in public or doing things. It's so easy to think I'm going to pair this with listening to a podcast or reading a book or something like that. But you're right. It's so important. And I think the really important part of what you said is not just get quiet and sit and stare at your sketchbook, but get quiet and go for a walk. Go mm-hmm. out and do something active but quiet and mm-hmm. alone. That is um, that's a big deal. And you know, Julia Cameron talks about that in the artist way about having weekly artist dates where you're out, you're alone, you're doing something, but you're quiet still. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a that's a really good tangible example of ways that we can do that. So that's one way you do that. Are there any other ways that you create time and space for creativity in your life? Well, I would say one of the things that I do is I try really hard to um, listen and read outside of my sort of zone of expertise because like, so I will literally read like woodworking magazines or a magazine about like how to do beaded handiwork or, you know, just something that is wildly outside of the realm of what I write about. Like, of course I read money magazine. Of course I read like psychology today, but I think it's very, very good for our brains to learn about things that are wildly different because a lot of times there are parallels that we can draw. And it's also, again, not overburdening your brain. And I think it's also good at, um, it develops new neural pathways and sort of helps us think about things in new ways rather than just always thinking about 
I could be very easy for me to just read Money Magazine and think exclusively about like budget spreadsheets and percentages and, you know, like what sort of investments. Um, but I think that can be exhausting and sort of myopic. Um, whereas when I read like a woodworking magazine, like it activates a totally different part of my brain and it keeps me from sort of putting too many eggs in one basket. It's the idea of cross-pollinating. It's yes. perfect. Yeah. Can you also tell us about your creative writing retreats? Because I think those are incredible for not only people who want to get things done, but for artists to kind of create these, these spaces and time to create. Yes, absolutely. So once a month, I book myself on a, what I call a DIY writing retreat. Um, I usually go to the exact same Airbnb every single time. It is a llama farm in rural Wisconsin that does not have Wi-Fi. And I go there usually just for one night. Um, but ahead of time, I create a Google folder. And in the folder, there are documents that I have outlined different things that I want to write. And so then I will drive to Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. I check myself into the Airbnb. I leave my phone in the car in the glove compartment. And then I just write for, you know, probably somewhere between like eight and 15 hours, you know, take a break, go for a walk, make dinner, maybe watch some TV. Um, but it is, it's almost like, it's like embarrassing how much I can accomplish. Like I, I write so much, I wrote my entire habit course in two days, um, at that alpaca farm. Um, I'm sure like I have a new course that I'm working on right now that I anticipate writing the entire thing, um, at the alpaca farm when I go in mid-May. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a really good, I think it's very good psychologically to to have a, a space that we know is just for creation. For what it's worth, I found it very helpful to have a place that you need to, that it's not in your city and you have to drive, you know, maybe like at least an hour to get there. And it's someplace that you're like packing a bag for because it's, it's not for me as effective if I just like walk to a coffee shop and don't connect to the internet. Like I can get a lot done, but it's not the same as like, I have packed an overnight bag. I have outlined what I'm going to write about and I'm getting in the car and I'm like literally driving to another state and checking into a space that is specific to creation for me. It's for me, incredibly effective. It's like airplane mode with alpacas. Yes, yes. And it's much more soothing than airplane mode because there's alpacas, there are bunnies, there are goats. It's out in the country. Like there's no light pollution. It's it's amazing. Oh my gosh. I, I'm trying to figure out how I can float that to my husband once a month. I can go to a um, on a DIY painting retreat and he'll be like, what? I want to go on a DIY music retreat. So then it'll just turn into a whole big thing. Oh, but I think I'm going to try it. You could do, I would also say the other thing that's important to know to anybody listening who's self-employed is this counts as a tax deduction. So for what it's worth, if you, you know, like obviously keep all your, keep all your paperwork and make for sure that you are actually, you know, working on something when you're there. But if the creativity that you're doing is directly tied to your business, these retreats oh, are taxed. That's a great, yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Um, okay. So I really hope that everyone goes and does a DIY creative retreat, whatever it is that you do. Um, and you let Sarah and I know, and you can use the hashtag how she creates to show us what your um, retreat is and what it looks like. And so I love that you made multiple points that, you know, there's no internet, there's really nowhere for you to go because the, the, the temptation mm -hmm. is to go to a really cool new city and then you spend the whole time touring or you spend the whole time sleeping, you know, because you're really tired and it's like your sleep catch up time. Yeah. So I like that you have a really clear plan. And you also have an incredible class that I've taken on habits. 
And I think that it's really fantastic. I used it um, to work on a workout habit. But can you tell us a little bit about how some of your habit tips could apply to artists wanting to make a more consistent creating habit? Oh, yeah. Um, Well, so one of the things and obviously, as you've taken habit school, so you know this, but one of the things that I tell people is that you should only work on building one habit at a time, which is not what anybody wants to hear. Um, And it's especially like on January 1st, like we all want to start a workout habit, plus drinking more water, plus our morning pages, plus, you know, not being on Instagram, like we want to take on a bunch of stuff all at once. Um, But so if you are interested in changing your creative habits, uh, start with one, start with one habit. Um, and another thing that uh, oftentimes people don't want to hear is for for a lot of people, our creativity is highest in the morning. And so we want to, you know, like maybe your habit that you want to make is morning pages or painting every morning or, you know, taking photos every morning. Um, but, and so then you say like, okay, I'm going to get up at, at 5.30. That, that's what I want to do. Um, but in order to get up at 5.30, you need to go to bed earlier and you might have to change some habits even further back down the line. Again, nobody wants to hear this. We just want to like leap right into like the sexy habit of, you know, painting in the morning. But oftentimes what you'll find is you actually have to work backwards. And the real habit you have to start is like avoiding screens after 9 p.m. Because if you avoid screens after 9 p.m., you can be in bed by 10, which means you can get up at 6, which means you can paint from 6 to 7. Um, so, again, nobody wants to hear it, <laughs> but but sometimes building a really great creative habit actually starts way back down the line with something you know, maybe that's going on around 8 p.m. the previous night. I wish people could see my bobblehead being like, yes, yes. Um, and this goes back to the point we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier of questioning everything. Why do you feel like you need to get up at 5 a.m.? Why do you feel like you need to do morning pages and work out and create three art journal pages and, you know, post four pictures on Instagram? That sounds like someone's formula that someone else gave you or someone else's morning routine or habit that they've probably been building up for years and years and years. So, yeah, question question those things that you want to do and figure out why exactly you're doing them and then put in the work. Like Sarah was saying, I love her small daily tips that she shares for for doing little things like this. And her habit school is fantastic. I've shared about it. If you know me in person, I've probably talked to you about it. And one thing that I just want to add to that is in terms of um, creativity and like being a successful artist, I think that there's a lot of narrative around like, if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll be successful. Or like in order to be a successful artist, in order to be successful online, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And as a side note, I am here to tell you that I absolutely do online business quote unquote wrong and I earn a very comfortable living. (laughs) So if you, you know, like you do not have to post on Instagram four times a day, you do not have to like tear your life open and write vulnerable Instagram quotes that are going to send you to therapy. You don't have to run webinars. There are so many different things and so many different ways to be successful. You do not have to follow a formula and you don't have to do the things that everybody else is doing in order to find success. And I say that as somebody who on an almost weekly basis, somebody emails me and asks me why I still do online coaching, one-on-one coaching, why my online courses are so affordable, why I run them live. Like I do so many things quote unquote wrong and I you know, earn well, well above the national average. And I have a life that I love. So don't feel like you have to do stuff that you don't want to do in order to be successful. And 
I'll even add to that, don't feel like you have to be a professional artist to like scratch this itch. You yes. know, that's that's my one big thing with this podcast is that I want to talk to people who are living creative lives but are not professional artists. You know, every choice we make can be creative. Anytime you're making something with dinner, with your house, you know, planning a trip for your family to go on. That's going to be fun. That's creativity. And that's flexing those artist muscles that you have. So I just kind of always want to let people off the hook. If you can be creative so many ways in your life without all of this, this pressure on it. Absolutely. So what is your personal favorite resource for creativity, Sarah? Oh my gosh. Honestly, in terms of creativity resources, this sounds counterintuitive, but I allow my creative resource just to be the life, my life. Like the conversations I have, the books that I read, the things that I see, I sort of just allow myself to find creativity and be inspired wherever it presents itself. And sometimes it's in like spectacularly mundane ways. And sometimes it's because I went to an art museum. But I think for me, my my best creative resource is making for sure that I'm living my life in a way that works for me. And then sort of the creativity finds me because I've done all of the, the back work of making for sure that my day-to-day life looks and feels in a way that works for and me. And when you say things like, I'm reading books, are you reading the New York Times bestseller list or are you reading books that are interesting to you? I don't even know what's on the bestseller list. And I also weirdly get sort of annoyed when people <laughs> recommend books to me because I just want to read what I want to read. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm usually reading books that came out 10 years ago. I'm currently reading um, Vegetable Animal Miracle by Barbara Kingsolver, which I think is literally 10 years old. And I'm also reading Harry Potter, which I've never read before. So I I just read basically what I want to read. And often when I read a book that I really like, I'll, I'll notice the books that they reference and then maybe check those out. But again, I try to really read across disciplines. Like I just read, um, we are we are currently saving up for a 20% down payment on a house. And we really want a mid-century ranch. And so I just read three books about um, mid-century ranch houses and their architecture. So I basically just read what interests me. And I don't, I mean, of course, I very, I occasionally read something that everybody's talking about currently, but I mostly just read whatever I want to read. And I try to read across disciplines and read across fiction, nonfiction, creative nonfiction. And I and I honestly try to limit the amount of business and personal finance stuff that I read because I want to allow myself to be inspired and influenced by potentially different things than everybody. Like I don't want to inadvertently find find myself just rehashing everything that Susie Orman talks about. Like I, I I want to find inspiration from different places. I don't want to just reiterate Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman and Rich Dad Poor Dad. I am certainly not like anti New York Times bestseller, but generally I just read more of what I want to read. Like I'm currently reading um, Animal Vegetable Miracle by Barbara Kingsolver, which is I think literally 10 years old. Um, I just read three different coffee table books about um, mid-century ranch house architecture Um, And I try pretty intentionally to limit the amount of business and personal finance books that I read, because I think what is particularly special about the way I talk about personal finance is it is, it's a little, it's different than a lot of what people have read before about personal finance. And I don't want to read a bunch of Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey or that Rich Dad Poor Dad book. I don't want to read that and sort of 
subconsciously absorb it and then just reiterate the stuff that other people have already talked about or read. So it's not that I'm, you know, closing my mind to that sort of knowledge, but I want to be intentional about the things that I fill my brain with because ultimately the things that we read and the things that we think about come out in our work. And I want to be conscious of that. I don't want to just be reiterating things that everybody else is talking about. Okay. So if people have not heard anything you've said this entire podcast, I feel like that's the perfect summary of it. Do what you like and just do all kinds of it. I mean, I I just, I think that's like the reading is the perfect illustration for our life. And I think you, you said that really, really well um, of just keeping your interest open and reading the things and doing the things in your life that you, you care about. And that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast because I feel like you do such a good job of that. And I love the way you are so tangible when you share stuff like this. You know, you don't, you, you sent an email about this recently about you're not going to talk about using positive vibrations to change your life. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was like, I don't even know what that means. Um, you know, but these tangible things that you can do. And so I hope that people are listening to this and they're like, yes, I can do that. I, you know, I like this weird thing and I want to dig more into it and it's not that weird. Um, and I can say it out loud and I, I just hope people are as excited about this as I am just because I love learning from you so, so much. Oh, thank you. Um, okay. So can you tell us what is new with you? What's happening? What can we be looking out for? Um, well, I think it probably will be done by the time this podcast airs, but my extremely popular and beloved class bank boost, um, opens for enrollment on May 6th, but it usually sells out within three or four days. So I, that'll probably be closed by the time this comes out, but I'm actually working on a new course that I'm very excited about called get what you want club, which is about goal setting and the art of being uncomfortable to get what you want, um, which you and I have talked about, um, sort of off podcast. But so it's, it's um, just like my other courses, there's an ebook, there are weekly emails, there's a private Facebook group with tons of support, there are live Q and A's. So at the beginning, we will all come up with a one with a specific goal that we're going after. And then for five weeks, we will go after pursue our goals and hold each other accountable, um, and support each other while we do that. And if the sort of success that people find in Bank Boost and Habit School is any, is any indicator of the kind of stuff that people will accomplish in Get What You Want Club, it will be pretty awesome. Oh, I am so in for that. I feel like that's going to become like a national like women's movement of like, we're all going to have t-shirts and it's going to be <laughs> awesome. Well, it is. I mean, the art of getting uncomfortable and that's, I mean, that's kind of the secret sauce in in Bank Boost. We have a, we have a specific process that I, that I coach people through and, you know, we all hold each other accountable and it is terrifying and incredibly effective. And like, it's amazing what can happen when you push yourself safely, obviously, but push yourself outside of your comfort zone. And when there are people who are holding you accountable to doing it. And when there's somebody sort of, because it's one thing to say, like, get uncomfortable, get outside of your, get outside of your comfort zone. But if there's somebody who's actually saying like, here is specifically how you do it. And I'm checking in with you on Sunday to find out if you did, that's, that's where the magic happens. Yes. I mean, I personally, um, I don't know if you've read Gretchen Rubin's books um, about the four tendencies. Um, I'm familiar with the concepts. I am, I'm an obliger upholder. I am an obliger. And so I have to have that accountability. That's the only way I can get anything done. 
So that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, it's um, one of the things that we do um, in Bank Boost and what we'll do in Get What You Want Club is um, on Mondays I in our Facebook group, I ask everybody a question. So it might be like, you know, tell me one uncomfortable thing that you're going to do or like what's one email that you're going to send or whatever. And then so then everybody responds. And then on Sunday night, I tag you and ask you if you did it. It is so scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is so scary, and, but it works so well. And even, and like, I obviously have to do the thing. Like I'm, I'm part of it too. So like, I'll ask the question. And then the first comment is me saying like, you know, I'm, I'm emailing for marketing companies to see if any of their clients want to partner on no, I want to sponsor a no grocery challenge, or, you know, I'm, I'm emailing five tourism boards to see if anybody wants to sponsor a trip. And then on Sunday, like I also have to say like whether I did it or not. So it is terrifying, but incredibly effective. And when you see, you know, dozens or hundreds of other people who are saying what they did, like in, in Bank Boost, we had a woman who took her ex-husband to court to get him to like back pay the alimony that he hadn't paid. And so when there's a woman in your group who's doing that and she did it, and, and your thing that you're trying to do is like send a cold email to a marketing agency. Like if she can, if, seeing somebody say like, yes, I like am taking my ex-husband to court. You're like, okay, I, I can, I can cold email that marketing agency. Wow. That's incredible. Oh gosh, this is so exciting. Okay. So I'm going to have links to all of this stuff in the show notes. Um, so people can find you, but your yes and yes blog. And I feel like you have so many things we weren't even able to talk about today. Um, I love your interview series that you do with, um, what, what do you call that series? Oh, true story. Yes. I don't do it anymore, but there are, I want to say there's like 500 interviews in the archives. It is, um, for years and years, I did it every Monday. It's super popular. I sort of had to, I had to stop. I mean, not to say that I've told every story that has ever happened, obviously, but it sort of reached the point where people would say, you should interview somebody who X. And I would say like, oh yeah, I already did. Um, like I have somebody who donated a kidney, somebody who received a kidney, somebody who was born without a kidney. Like I was still like, truly. <laughs> so I sort of, I had to, I had to like retire the series because I covered so much ground, but it is, I love that interview series. It was some of the work that I'm most proud of. It's so good. So if people, if you like like Humans of New York, this is like a way more in-depth interview process of, of these. I love these stories. I love this like peek into like real humanity and real people's lives and experiences. Um, I love the one about like the woman whose like house was haunted. Yeah. Um, I always, I rerun, I um, re-promote that every Halloween. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Oh, there's so many good things. Yeah. Sarah, you're so creative. And like I said, Sarah is just so tangible in her steps to achieving the life that you want and getting what you want and doing good things that you enjoy. So I really hope you guys are going to check her out. And if anyone wants to take the Get It Done Club with me, I will be so excited to see you in there. Yay. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. And like I said, we'll have links to everything in the show notes at lauren-likes.com slash podcast. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening to How She Creates. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to know more about the show, please visit lauren-likes.com slash podcast and be sure to sign up for the newsletter to know when new episodes are out and to stay up to date with all of the crafty creative happenings around here. If you would take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes, that would be so helpful to let me know what you thought of the show and share with all your friends on Instagram by tagging me at Lauren Likes Blog and using the hashtag HowSheCreates. Until next week, I hope you get curious and go explore something.